Section twenty four of the McDermott's of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The McDermott's of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section twenty four. How Pat Brady and Joe Reynolds were eloquent in vain. Chapter eighteen. How Pat Brady and Joe Reynolds were eloquent in vain the day after usher had obtained feemy's consent to go off with him she passed in the same manner as she had that afternoon sometimes sitting quiet with her eyes fixed on vacancy sometimes sobbing and crying as though she must have fallen into an hysterical fit once or twice she attempted to make some slight preparation for her visit to mrs mckeon's such as looking through her clothes mending them etc but in fact she did nothing the next day sunday she spent in the same manner she omitted going to mass a thing she had not done for years unless kept at home by very bad weather or real illness she never took up a book nor spoke a word except such as she could not possibly avoid to the servant or to her father of thady she saw nothing except at her meals and then they took no notice of each other they had not spoken since the night when thady had upbraided her whilst walking in a lane with usher on the monday morning she was obliged to exert herself for she had to pack the little trunk that was to carry her ballroom finery to mrs mckeon's and prepare everything that was necessary for her visit biddy the favourite of the two girls had once or twice asked her mistress what ailed her and whether she was ill but feemy only answered her crossly that she was bothered with that horrid headache and the girl could only believe that either this was actually the case or else that she had quarrelled with her lover and as it was now three days since he had been at ballycloran she at last determined that this was the case during these three days feemy had frequently made up her mind or rather she fancied she had made up her mind to give usher up to go and confess it all to father john or to tell it to mrs mckeon and if it had not been for the false pride within her which would not allow her to own that she had been deceived and that her lover was unworthy she would have done so his present coolness and his cruelty in not coming to see her though they did not destroy her love greatly shook it and had she had one kind word to assist her in the struggle within herself she might still have prevented much of the misery which her folly was fated to produce when mrs mckeon and her daughters came for her about one o'clock on monday the small exertion necessary for putting up her clothes had made her somewhat better something more able to talk than she had been before and they did not then observe anything particular about her but she had been but a very short time at drumshnuff before it was evident to mrs mckeon that something was the matter with her when she questioned her feemy gave the same answer that she had a racking headache and though this did very well for a time before the evening was over the good lady was certain that something more than a headache afflicted her guest the next day according to his promise usher called but of course at mrs mckeon's house he could not see her alone that lady and her daughters were present all the time when he came in usher shook hands with feemy as he would with anybody else and began talking gaily to the two other girls he had regained his presence of mind completely and however deficient feemy might be in that respect he now proved himself a perfect master of hypocrisy he did not stay long and as he got up to go away he merely remarked 
that he hoped he should meet the ladies that day week on the race-course and at the ball and the only thing he said especially to feemy was that he should call at ballycloran on his way to the races and that when he saw her on the course he would tell her how her father and brother were and he remarked that he should not go home that night as he had been asked to dine and sleep at brown hall the week passed on and feemy remained in the same melancholy desponding way saying nothing to mrs mckeon and little to the two girls who in spite of feemy's sin in having a lover did everything in their power to cheer and enliven her father john usually dined at mrs mckeon's on sunday and she came to the determination of having another talk with him about feemy so before dinner on that day she opened her mind to him telling him the state in which feemy had been the whole of the week and that she thought the sooner she could be made to understand that she must give up all thoughts of usher the better feemy had been at mass with the family and when she met father john afterwards she exerted herself to appear before him as she usually did and to a certain extent she succeeded father john was himself usually cheerful and he spoke to her good-humouredly and she made an effort to answer him in the same strain this deceived the priest and when mrs mckeon spoke to him about feemy's deep melancholy and suggested the propriety of speaking to her on the subject which they supposed was nearest to her heart he said better let her alone mrs mckeon i think you'd better let her alone and time will cure her you see feemy is proud and perhaps a little too headstrong and i don't think she'd bear just as quietly as she ought any one speaking to her about the man now it isn't only the losing him that vexes her it isn't only that she has been deceived but that every one knows that she has lost him and has been deceived it's this that hurts her pride and talking to her about it will only make her more fretful if you'll take my advice you'll just leave her to herself take no especial notice of her and let her go to this ball and when she sees the man paying attention to others dancing and philandering with them and neglecting her her pride will make her feel that she must at any rate appear to be indifferent and when she has once enabled herself to appear so she will soon become really so just let her go to the races and the ball and your kindness and the girl's society will soon bring her round all monday feemy spent in bed but mrs mckeon and her girls took no notice of it except carefully tending her offering to read to her and bring her what she wanted they soon however found that she preferred being left alone and they consequently allowed her to think over her own gloomy prospects in solitude and silence feemy had however declared her intention of going both to the races and to the ball usher had desired her to do so and she feared to disobey him besides at one of these places he had to give her final instructions as to their departure she was therefore dressed for starting on the tuesday morning when the other girls were ready and though her eyes and nose were somewhat red and her cheeks somewhat pale and though she did not now deserve the compliment that fred brown had paid her when he told usher that he was going to carry off the prettiest girl in county latrum still she did not look unwell and mrs mckeon kindly comforted herself by the reflection that as she was both able and willing to dress herself for amusement there could not be much really the matter with her in the meantime thady had been honestly firm to the promise he had made to father john not to join the mulreadyites his sister's absence from ballycloran at the present time had been a relief to him and on the morning after his visit to the priest 
he had returned to his work not certainly with much happiness or satisfaction but still with his mind made up to struggle on in the best way he could to do nothing which he knew to be wrong and come what come might to leave reynolds and his associates to their own schemes and villainies he felt determined if he could not protect himself and his family from his enemies by honest means to leave it to circumstances to protect him and though he could not shake off a deep desponding as to the future still there was a kind of contentment in the feeling that he knew he had to suffer and that he had made up his mind to do so firmly and bravely on the saturday morning pat brady had again come to his master informing him that all the boys were to be on that evening at the whiskey shop and using all his powers of oratory to induce him to come down but that he was firm and he not only refused to come then but plainly told pat that he had entirely altered his mind and that he did not intend to go down to them at all he advised pat also to give them up hinting that if he did not they too namely pat brady and thady mcdermott would probably soon have to part company this was a threat however for which pat did not much care for he knew that there was little more to be made by his old master and like a wise man he had already provided himself with a new one and a more prosperous and wealthy one than him he was going to leave rats always leave a falling house and brady was a real rat still however though he did not expect to get much more from his service with thady he was for his own reasons anxious that his present master should not be quit of the companions with whom he had been so anxious to join him and therefore when he found that he could no longer work on his master's mind by the arguments he had hitherto used he began to threaten him telling him of the different perils from the law which he would have to encounter by having joined the party and various dangers to which he would subject himself by deserting it but in vain thady was firm and when pat got violent and inclined to be impertinent on the subject he told him that he would knock him down with the alpine in his hand if he said another word about it on sunday thady went to mass and afterwards took a walk with his friend the priest who said everything he could to raise his spirits and to a certain degree he did so on the next morning as he was going to his work a messenger brought a letter from keegan to his father this was a legal notice on flannelly's part that on some day in november which was named he flannelly would require not only the payment of the interest money which would then be due but also the principal and in this notice was set forth the exact sum to be paid for principal for interest for costs and it further stated that if the sum was not paid on or before that day writs would be issued for his body that is the body of poor larry mcdermott and latitats and sheriff's warrants and heaven knows what besides for selling the property at ballycloran and that the mortgage would be immediately foreclosed and the property itself disposed of for the final settlement of the debt this agreeable document was very legibly addressed to lawrence mcdermott esq etc 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 ballycloran and its unusual dimensions and appearance made thady at once feel that it was some infernal missile come still further to harass him and leave him if possible more miserable than it found him however such as it was it was necessary that it should be read so he took it to his father and having broken the seal said 
here's a letter from keegan larry shall i read it to you Captain keegan was his father's consolatory reply i don't want his letters i tell you he can't call for his money before november and this is october yet that's through said sadie when he had spelt through the epistle that's through father but this is to say that he means to come in earnest when that time comes and don't he always come in earnest is it in joke he comes when he axes for a hundred pounds every half year come in earnest why damn him he's always in earnest but father it's not only the hundred pounds now but the whole debt he demands and at last thady succeeded in reading the letter to his father larry at first got into a violent passion swearing fearfully at keegan and hinting that he larry knew well enough how to take care of his own body and that he keegan might get more than he bargained for if he came to meddle with it after that he began to whimper piteously and cry complaining that it was a most grievous thing that his own son should bring such a letter to him and he ended by accusing thady of leaguing with the attorney to turn him out of his own house and even asked him whether when they had effected their purpose he and keegan intended to live at ballycloran together all this was not comfortable thady however quietly folded up the letter put it in the old bureau left his father to his pipe and his fireside and went out again to his occupations nothing new occurred at ballycloran for a few days and he began to flatter himself that mrs mulready's boys and their threats would annoy him no more and he was even thinking of sending pat down to drumleash to notice the tenants again to come up with the rents if it were only to see what steps they would then take as he was returning home however on friday evening across the fields a little after dusk he saw the figure of a man standing in a gap through which he had to pass and when he came close to him he perceived it was joe reynolds thady had been rather surprised that he had not seen joe before and had been inclined to think that that worthy gentleman had been intimidated when he heard of his own defection but joe was not a character so easily frightened the truth was that he had for the last few days left his own cabin at drumleash and had been engaged with others in the mountains which lay between loch sheen and ballynamore in making patine in large quantities and drinking no small portion of what they made the morning after the wedding he had been boasting to his comrades there of the success he had had in bringing over his landlord to their ranks and he had brought down a large party of them from that quarter all sworn friends to be present at his proposed initiation and great was their wrath and loud were their threatenings when they found that thady would not come joe had however been obliged to join them again at their business and though he had heard the ill success of brady's second attempt he had not been able till now to try the effects of his own eloquence he had now come down for that purpose and had been for the greater portion of the evening watching thady till he could get a good opportunity of talking to him undisturbed and he was now determined not to leave him till he had used every means in his power of inducing him to change the resolution to which he had so suddenly come when thady came close to him he respectfully raised his old battered hat and said no life to ye mr thady i hope your honour is finding yourself well this evening 
quite well thank you joe and joe walked on with him a few steps have you the rent ready for me yet continued thady rent is it facts then i have not not a penny but it wasn't rent i was wanting to talk to your honour about just now not but what the rent'll be coming and that right soon mr thady and plenty too if you'll only listen to me those be glorious times joe when the rent came that way and thady walked on faster for he didn't want to prolong the conversation beyond what he could help stop mr thady what are ye in sich a hurry for i've come a long way to spake to you and we'll both talk pleasanter if you'd a go a little easier well joe what is it then i'm in a hurry in a hurry is it but why were ye in sich a hurry to break the promise you made us all at mrs mahan's thursday night week past ah mr thady you warn't in a hurry when you said you'd come down and be one of us at a mohill ay and swore it too on the blessed cross you warn't in sich a hurry then and what hurries you now so fast now reynolds it's no use your saying more of that i sent you word by pat that i wouldn't come and i won't so there's the end of it but that ain't an end of it no nor nigh the end of it i suppose mr thady and he paused and resuming his respectful tone said and didn't you say you never had deserted us and never would and that you'd always stick to us that you have known so long sure mr thady you'll not change your mind now and reynolds paused in the little path they were walking in and thady was obliged to stand too for reynolds had got before him and he couldn't pass unless he pushed the man aside and sure do you mean to let keegan off and usher the black ruffians that way do you intend to put up with everything from the likes of them come mr thady say the word only say the word you swore before and by the holy cross you swore on before next week is over keegan shall be put where he'll never spake another bad word or do another bad deed come reynolds out of this and let me pass said thady perceiving that he must now absolutely make the man understand that he was not to be talked over out of that and let me pass and i'll tell you what i'll not have my neck in danger and if i hear you threatening murder i'll have you before the magistrates and he pushed by the man who however still walked close behind him and is that the way with you now have me before the magistrates will you and where'd you be all the time why there's not one of them that was in it at mrs mahan's that night but could have you before the magistrates and i'm thinking them folk would make a deal more of you than they would of me if you talk of magistrates mr thady maybe you'll find there's too many of them in the country for yourself thady walked on fast but did not answer him and reynolds continued come mr thady i don't intend to anger you or affront you and if i've said anything that way i axes your pardon but just answer me will you come down there only for once if it were only because you swore it afore them all on the holy cross no joe i will not 
if i took any oath at all i was drunk besides i said i wouldn't and i won't so now good night but mr thady av you'd only come there to tell the boys so themselves it would be all right sure you're not afeard to trust yourself among them not a foot joe well then i tell you you'll be sorry not that i'd say a word again you myself because though you've ill-treated me now you were always a kind landlord and because it's not in your heart to hurt a poor man but i tell you and you'll find it comes true enough there were them there that night at mrs mcheon's as will turn again you unless you do as i'm axing you now well joe i can't help it if they do so good night they had now come to a lane and as thady was going to jump on the bank to get over joe put his hand on his coat one more word your honour maybe yet you'll change your mind indeed i shall not then maybe you will and i'm thinking when you find keekin too hard on you it'll come to that well if you do let me know and i'll make it all right for you just tell corney dolan and he's still at drumleash that you're wanting me and i won't be far off thady did not answer him but merely saying good night joe jumped into the road and joe by some devious path through bogs and bottoms betook himself to mrs mulready's and drowned the feeling of his ill success in whisky thady went home to his dinner or supper rather glad that he had had the interview for the man's manner was not so insolent as he had expected it would be and he now felt tolerably confident that he should not again be solicited to keep the unfortunate promise which he had made his father however was still muttering over the misfortunes which he was doomed to bear from the hands of his own son thady took all the pains he could and all the patience he could muster to prove to the old man that he was only desirous to do the best he could for him and Feemy. He had even told him that he had absolutely quarrelled and come to blows with the attorney on the day of his visit. But it was all in vain, and when he got himself to bed, he was puzzled to think whether Keegan and Usher or his father and Feemy caused him most trouble and unhappiness. End of section 24 how Pat Brady and Joe Reynolds were eloquent in vain.